Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Variety, celebrating more than 117 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. We were trying to figure out if I could play older Elvis. So I, my agent actually told me, he said, you know, you gotta, they, they, they don't know if you can play older Elvis, so I think you need to gain some weight. And, and so I started, I'd heard that Ryan Gosling, when he was going to do Lovely Bones, had microwaved haagen and would drink it. So I started doing that. I would go get two dozen donuts and I'd eat them all and I really started to pack on some pounds. Austin Butler is wise beyond his years and he took some unconventional steps towards playing the king of rock and roll in the feature film Elvis. I'm Clayton Davis. On this episode of the award-winning Variety Award Circuit podcast, we're talking to the Oscar-nominated Elvis star Austin Butler about preparing for his film Elvis. In addition, he talks about his early career stints such as The Carrie Diaries, whether he joined a Zoe 101 reunion, and his role in the upcoming film, Dune 2. Also on this episode, a chat with Oscar-nominated All Quiet on the Western Front director and screenwriter, Edward Berger. But first, on the Awards Circuit Roundtable, we give our predictions for this weekend's DGA Awards, and we talk about the latest Emmy rule change as Double Dipping returns for Docs. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hey everyone, happy Valentine's Day belated. It's two of the people I love the most along with yourself. Of course, the lovely listener. This is your Valentine from us. I'm Michael Schneider, TV editor at Variety, along with Jazz Tanke and Clayton Davis. Hi, Michael. Hi. Janelle is uh, jet-setting off somewhere as we speak. She'll be back next week. She's in London for our 10 Brits to Watch event. And uh, pre, I think she might stay for the Baptist. I don't know. I couldn't figure that out yet. But she is, she is in London, in the vicinity of Baptist. She may not be able to get inside. We'll Bapta find out on adjacent. Twitter, right? Yeah, we'll find out on Twitter. <laughs> um, who's looking after her dog? That's that's the big question. Uh, Janelle loves dogs more than I love my children, so I'm pretty sure they're in some five star <laughs> resort dog hotel. That is very. Yeah, very good hands. They're right? getting massages right now and chiropractic uh, things, which have been popping up on my TikTok FYP lately. A lot of dog chiropractors. Do you blame Janelle for that? Oh, no, no. It's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very weird profession. Dog chiropractors. I don't think I've ever heard of that. But um, yeah, 
It's yeah. and, and uh, you know they charge like a gajillion dollars too, also for that. Yeah, that's going to be a new new TV show on Apple TV that's, like next year, right? That's that's what I'm going to do uh, when this inevitably uh, goes off the train. But uh, we had Oscar nominee luncheon this week where people got to break bread with each other. It's the happiest time of the year because no one's competing anymore. That's uh, a lie. That's a lie. Actually, they're all competing. <laughs> but um, I saw in the flesh. Mr. Tom Cruise, Mr. Maverick himself. Wow. Wow. He um, came his first award season event. And then wow. he, and he said, Clayton, don't be glib. Don't be glib, Clayton. Don't be glib. <laughs> He's a like, here, man. Uh no, like he can't like talk about star power, man. In a room. Like it, it was it was just insane. Like he couldn't walk two steps without someone swarming him. <laughs> so a group swarming him and just talking to him. So uh, I think it was interesting because we are now in this zone with uh, the DGA Awards on Saturday and BAFTAs on Sunday. We're going to get our first true indicator from the industry that has Oscar overlap. What could win picture and director? Mm-hmm. So um, just to appease Michael, because, you know, we should like include TV in this. DJ also rep- re- represents television. There's television that's going to be recognized there as well. And I, th- I think that's what people care about. I mean, that, that is what, I mean, listen, you got Better Call Saul there and you have Euphoria, you have Severance twice and Ozark. Uh, the We We Are is one of my favorite episodes of the year. That's the Ben Stiller directed last episode, a uh, season finale. And it's incredible. So just thinking that does it, Mike, are you in agreement or are you thinking that we're going to go Jason Bateman one last time? Here you go. Um, That's a good question. I'm, I'm actually trying to find my list. Of <laughs> as, as Mike uh, narrowed that down, then we have comedy with uh, Barry Wednesday, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, the bear and White Lotus. Ooh, that's a tough one. That is um, a tough one. Yeah. Uh, you know, the bear is such a darling right now. That's that right. Yeah. I could see it. I could see yeah. it surprising. It's yeah. the one it's the one that makes sense. Yeah. Like I mean I mean Mike White could also be like the lazy choice. Also. Like I don't want to say lazy, like he's not good, but it feels like a default choice. And it's a little um it just, yeah, it just seemed very HBO y. And this HBO that took up the entire drama side last year at DGA with all succession. Uh, so it could be White Lotus just in a walk, but I think it might be the bear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the thing with White Lotus is because of the, the, you know, the category confusion, you know, is it comedy? Is it drama? <laughs> um, that could actually maybe hurt it in that case. Yeah. They're so, like, where, where, where am I going to vote for this thing? Yeah. And then, think, uh, no, I was going to say, I think we might see like the wave of the bear continue through. This is actually going to be the first, uh, I think major test for the bear. Right? Uh, Cause I listen, like, you know, taking very small looks ahead, uh, at Emmys. Cause we are, we are right there. <laughs> um, comedy side is going to be pretty, pretty hefty. And well, bear's going to have a, a, it's gonna, it's gonna, I mean, bear could do it. But Bear's going to have a good fight. It's going to be a good race this year. 
Well, I think it's it's all about Jeremy Allen White, who already won the Globe, so you know he's he's got momentum. So that's that's where people are going to be keeping an eye out. Um, yeah. Comedy in in general is is tough when you've got Abbott Elementary that's sort of on its roll right now. But so which is it nominated by the way? Which is bananas. Yeah, yeah, no. In, in the case of DGAs, you're right. But yeah, looking at drama now that I finally have my list up. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you caught me unawares. Oh, I'm sorry. I was try- I was trying to be inclusive here, Mike. I wanted I you know, to feel I like know. you had something to say. <laughs> I just I wasn't even paying attention because yeah. you're yammering on about you know <laughs> whatever film stuff you're yammering about. <laughs> you're um, like, what's a lunch? <laughs> what's a lunch? <laughs> but yeah, so. Uh, in drama, well, that's an interesting thing. You mentioned that there's two severance. Uh, so, you know, generally we would argue they could cancel each other out. But the fact that one of them is Ben Stiller, um, you know, is, is you know, leads me to believe there's still a real possibility yeah. that Ben still still wins it. I mean, you've got Sam Levinson, who, you know, Euphoria has such a young crowd. I don't, the, the DJ voting body, I'm I'm just imagining as an older crowd. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so sure. I think that, you know, the other, the other, you know, Jason Bateman, people do love, but then you also have Vince Gilligan. And again, this is the, the swan song for that entire franchise. And who doesn't love Vince Gilligan? One of the yeah, nicest he's a, guys he's, in, he's in a upset Hollywood. Pick, yeah. For sure. For sure. But yeah, probably Stiller. So we talked comedy. Uh, and then limited. limited, limited, limited is very interesting because uh, it's it's limited and TV movies. So you've got Weird, the Al Yankovic story, which, by the way, I loved. I think I've talked about it before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pell is there. You've got Deborah Chow from Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, you've got uh, Jeremy T- Padeswa from Station Eleven, which, you know, is one of those that if you watch Station Eleven, you adore it. You love it, which yeah. I'm yeah. one of them. Um, but you also have Helen Shaver from Station Eleven, so I hate to say it, but they're going to probably cancel each other out. Uh, and then you've got Tom Verica from Inventing Anna. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, Jeremy uh, Padeswa feels like because I feel like that, again that's just a very quintessential episode that people love. Um, that was the one that was Emmy nominated for a bunch of stuff. Yeah, so I think yeah. that gives it a, a head up. Um, weird, as much as I love it as well, too weird to too uh, not too weird maybe too cool for dj to do if they did i'd be pleasantly surprised but uh it it could i think that could be the upset pick and i'd be down with that no one would object yeah but i think i I think you're right it's gonna be interesting because you know jeremy pudeswa does feel like the the front runner there even though there are two station 11 it's just as there are two severances but this could be a rare chance where you've got two shows that just there's so much momentum behind them that they they go all the way and then on the film side, because uh, no, film side, but listen, Mike, Mike, you have seen, I think, three of these movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Todd Field for Tar, Joseph Kaczynski for Top Gun Maverick, The Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inisherin, and Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans. So, have you seen, yeah, have you seen anything else since we last spoke? None of those. He's, <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no. He's all three no, of them. I've, You've seen Everything Everywhere. You've yeah. seen Top Gun. And you saw Banshees, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you haven't seen yeah. Fablemans or Target. Right. They're yeah. on the they're on the docket. They're um, on the peacock. Okay. So go watch it. There's a lot of television out there. So yeah, I haven't had a that chance to watch anything new this weekend. <laughs> I mean, because Last of Us is just 
Ooh, oh, again, Last of Us deserves I'm the in, Oscar. I'm, Give in, them the- I'm in therapy now because that show, that show is <laughs> not nice at all. Like I'm mad at Melanie Linsky now. Uh, like, I just don't want to oh talk to her gosh. anymore. Let's Do not spoil a, it. Let's talk okay. about a show that that you know they had the quintessential episode. Uh, you know, with with uh, uh, you know the, the the guys the week before episode three, mm-hmm. and yep. then they come back with Melanie Linsky. It's yeah. like they they just keep outdoing themselves. Yeah. It, Each that, one them. is a standalone movie, though. Like, it's so cinematic. Yep. And... It's, it's incredible. But we're mad at Melanie. Yeah, we yeah. Go. We're mad at Melanie. <laughs> um, yeah, for, so, being, uh, for being so great, basically. For, for being great. Yes. And Yellow Jackets is coming back very soon. Oh it's God, we it we live yeah. like it's Melanie yeah. Linsky's world. We we just we we worship her. It's fine. It. That's She's, it. Yeah. By the way, if that if there was a post uh, apocalypse of dead walking things. Melanie Alinsky a thousand percent becomes the leader of all of us. Like the, it was yeah. such a real true story. And I was watching, I was like, yeah, she would be, she, I would follow her. She would tell me what to do. And I would yeah. say yes. Now I still try to move in with Nick Offerman. I still oh, true. see if like, that's an option, you know, but if, if I can't find his place or if he tries to murder me <laughs> as I try to find his place, then. I mean, yeah. In, in fairness, Murray Bartler walking at you, you're like, yeah, I'll let him yeah. in. Like, I don't know if he's letting Clayton Davis or Michael Schneider. In the house. <laughs> Is it, by the way, I'd be far dirtier. My beard would not look as good after a few weeks. It would be pretty rough. And, and by the yeah. way, I, I also would bring nothing to the equation. <laughs> Like, like <laughs> you want me to write stories about the entertainment industry for you? Like, let me tell you about who won Best Director in 1986, man. I, I can, I can I'll break down you. the history of syndication for you. Yep. This is how it works. Yep. <laughs> Gosh. Let me tell you about Nielsen. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. So, film. Yeah. Um, this is Home Field Advantage, Steven Spielberg. It's home mm-hmm. turf. Listen. I think we are in his house. I will say, not declaring, I'm going to be very clear, like, you know, things happen all the time, it gets crazy. But I think if Spielberg doesn't win, it would be really hard for me to consider that Fable Women's could actually pull it off in Best Picture or Director. It would be, it would be like, you, you lost it. Like, if you can't win with your own group. Right. And you're also not nominated at BAFTA, which no one has won Best Director in the modern era at Oscar without a BAFTA nom can, when you don't take into consideration ineligibility years and stuff like that, it would be really hard to think that Spielberg could do it any other way. So that leaves you with the Daniels. These 35 year old wonderkins that are just so great. And I wonder if this is the spot that they, you know, Draw the line in the sand. They say we are front runners. Leave us alone. We're gonna we're gonna win everything from here on out. What about Todd Field of the Todd Field of it all, though? Not a DGA. However, I think he's a really, I think he's a real spoiler for BAFTA. Mm-hmm. And I'd argue that if he wins BAFTA, then it's definitely not the Daniels and director, and then Spielberg could still win. If he won, D, assuming he won DGA, because then without Spielberg there, that means they, their alternative wasn't what we think it's going to be. They went completely different. They went Todd Field. So I think Todd Field is a is a sneaker for BAFTA, but not for DGA. I think if Kaczynski did it, like 
because Top Gun has really nothing else to win from here on out. It's DGA. It's not nominated SAG or BAFTA. I think it's a really good shot at PGA. That would be a thing, but he's an unknown. Like they don't do stuff like that. Yeah. Mark McDonough also. I think he's tough for DGA, but a really good candidate for BAFTA. That's home field advantage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. International. An accent that's not dumb American like me. So, yeah, it's 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 a nail biter. But I think your smart option, is if you just want to be safe, I think is to go with Spielberg. But it really could be done on watch, Saturday. Watch this weekend, Saturday night TGAs, Baptist Sunday. Sunday, our time in the morning, I guess, or early. I don't know. I hate time difference. Mo- late morning, afternoon. I don't know. Are they live streaming it? For I don't the first know. time this year because they. I don't think they are. Yeah. Do it like late, and it's like, but we know the winners because of social media. So because we are people, <laughs> and we look uh, outside of stuff. But um, no, I think we are in a really good. I think we're in a not really good. We're in a very unknown part of the award season where we don't know what's going to win what. And we could have a scenario that we have four different movies win the top prize at the next four guilds. So, you know, Spielberg, Fableman's wins DGA. You get Banshees at BAFTA. Then you get SAG with, let's say, Everything Everywhere. And then you get PGA with Top Gun. And then an Oscar night, you just flip a four-sided coin. They're four Honestly, sides, right? I think that's the best scenario. You you want to keep everyone guessing. I, I think that that keeps it more fun. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, we we sort of see a, a split like that because that's what it's uh, what we live for, right? Drama. I'm I gonna drama. I'm gonna, you do want drama? Uh, no, you want comedy <laughs> series or limited. Uh, but I, I think what I, I what I think I'm gonna do. I thought about this the other day. I'm gonna run an Oscar ballot in our office, the entire office of every employee. I want to. I want to see a preferential ballot in in real time. I need to. I need to feel it. Some yeah, see, way, see how somehow. it works. Yeah. I want to see oh. how that how that thing does because I, I. That's. A, I think everything is so up in the air. Like I don't know if I could even tell you if this was a popular vote, what would be winning? Because that's how I think there's a top five movies. I think it's any of those five that we've been mentioning are the ones: Top Gun, Fablemans, Everything Everywhere. Banshees and, and Maverick. So here's what I'm hearing for SAG, which is what the following weekend, right? I've lost track of. Yes, dates. next next week it's the last. It's the last thing on the on the year for the first time. Okay, so a lot of SAG voters that I've spoken to are revisiting Tar, which is like, and they're liking that a lot. Yeah. Um. So here's my uh, last thing with. We're talking about the Michelle Yeoh Kate Blanchett of it all, which is a nail biter in real time, and it's really it's it's stressful. It stresses me out daily, daily. I I feel pretty good that Kate Blanchett's going to win BAFTA. Michelle Yeoh's last stand is SAG. If she loses both, then she's essentially like Michael Keaton, right? Like Michael Keaton, Birdman won. Best picture without him having to win, which wouldn't make sense in my head, but sure, like we're gonna go with that. Uh, Blant, like we could, we could be a very just unknown 
place on because Michelle Yeoh pulls it off at BAFTA and then pulls it off at SAG. Like it's still a flip coin. Like we just really don't know who's going to win what. And I still think there's a little bit of a genre bias that's happening there. It, it kind of dawned on me the other day and you've seen everything everywhere. Mike's so you're going to be able to contribute to this. Yeah. Right? I think what's hurting Michelle Yeoh, I Clayton Davis speak for myself, see her performance as immaculate so, for me. Top two performances of the year. Right. But I think you don't get the emotional impact of her performance when you're watching it. Because someone like Kiyu Kwan has like two or three scenes that like he breaks your heart into pieces. Arguably has the best line of the movie that breaks your heart into pieces. And then Michelle Yeoh is a very physical performance. And her emotional moment comes at the end, which I believe is an arguably Stephanie Shu's pivotal moment of emotion. So mm-hmm. I feel like she that isn't translating for people. Because they like big, splashy stuff. Kate Blanchett is in 80% of her movie. And every scene is an Oscar scene. So mm. I think what? I think that's what's hurting. Like, I think a little bit of that's what's hurting Michelle a, a smidge. I think there are people that just don't get the emotional impact of it. Unless you stick to the end. And you, like, really buy into the whole magic of it. But it's not obvious. That's some savvy analysis there, Clayton. It could all be wrong. I, I, could, I could be wrong, and it's Andrew Riseborough, and then whatever, <laughs> and whatever. Guys, <laughs> just whatever. Just out the window. Then the world goes. is. You know what? Yeah, topsy. I swear to God, if it was Andrew Riseborough, I would go. I would be like, fine, fine, like just fine. You know, this year, sure. Like, I don't even care anymore. Like, it's just let's move on. <laughs> Tell me what the Emmys are going to do. They're going to do Merritt Weaver and Nurse Jackie again and break my brain. <laughs> well, speaking of the Emmys real quick, uh, I do want to bring up uh, the the latest rule change. That, yeah, uh, just, the just killer rule change. This week. Yep. So uh, they had just a year earlier changed the rule for documentary. <laughs> so finally, there would be no double dipping. Because as we know... One of the the issues was with the documentaries is if you didn't get a nomination or you know back in the day it was you, you could get a nomination just as long as you didn't win you could still submit for the Emmys yeah. uh, and actually at one point like you could win and still also go for an Emmy you could win both yeah. Uh, yeah. which which happened a, a couple of times uh, so they they lock that down um, Emmys were feeling like they were the consolation prize <laughs> when you can't win the Oscar. That's like the truth of the matter was. I think yeah. that's exactly what it was. Yeah. You're feeling like the consolation prize. So they locked it down where if you submitted uh, to, to be on Ampus's uh, screening platform, then that's it. You're, you're campaigning for an Oscar. You see yourself as a film, so you're not a TV property. Made sense. So now they've backtracked. Now, once yeah. again, you can submit your film, and uh, as long as you're not nominated, then you can turn around and submit it again for an Emmy. Um, ironically, I feel the the most bad for the show the the films that end up getting nominated because then they're the only ones who are shut out from. I know you're like get me by, get me far, but not too far. <laughs> just by sheer nature of actually getting nominated, hooray! You didn't win, but you now can't go after an Emmy. But everyone else can. It makes doesn't make a lot of sense to me and and also again it it makes the emmy feel like second class citizens because now everyone can go back to submitting everything at the oscars and if you don't get a nomination then you just 
flip and and turn around and and submit your film for like i'm a tv i'm a tv show guys tv (laughs) but i thought you were a movie like three months ago so because of that rule i then went back real quick and started looking at some of those things that i'm like totally about to come in for emmys one of which was from last oscar year that did an eligibility um run in 2021 then yes 2021 uh the sony pictures classic stock uh who we are will be eligible for emmys this year which i think is what crazy insane it will be yeah, when did it, it air? It, it aired in the TV calendar year. Really? Uh, yeah. That's so crazy. that so something from like two Oscar seasons ago is about to come into it, and then from this year, Retrograde, which is Matthew Heineman's uh, doc, National Geographic film, totally about to like. I'm assuming that's going to like get thrown into yeah. the mix. You have Descendant, the Netflix doc that that missed Oscar nod in the end, totally going to make it, and then MTV documentary films. They have Last Flight Home. Congratulations! You're gonna get your Oscar, your Emmy yeah, now, Emmy. now yeah. too. Emmy now <laughs> too. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be <laughs> the TV Academy's gonna get so many complaints. We're just full of Oscar shortlists. Well, we'll see Moon Age Daydream because Moon Age Daydream. Where did, did it air on Hulu? Yes, probably. We'll see Mo- probably, Moon Age Daydream. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's crazy. You're making Michael Schneider upset, Emmys, because look at him now. He has to like watch. <laughs> stuff like reconsider films from like two years ago and now get caught up on the see what's eligible and what isn't double double dipping double dipping i don't like it i don't like the robert downey jr doc now senior that'd be awesome yeah it's a great doc did you see it mike no i heard good things about it though so you know what's the best part about it you ready you ready best part about it yeah short 88 minutes 88 minutes love it okay i will now she won um, best comedy series for that. It's like yes. so good, <laughs> so good. It's eighty eight minutes. Moon Age uh, Daydreams, what two hours? Two forty, ten, right? Two like two thirty, two or something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. That's a long. It's pretty long. I mean, I will but watch yeah. a good doc series if it keeps you keeps you entertained or interested. And and I got to say, the Sarah Lawrence doc. Oh, how is that? Oh, is, it, is, is it great? Good. It Ooh. is disturbing. It is. And and the fact that they have so much material because the guy, the, you know, the 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 dad who was at the center of this, he taped every conversation, every phone oh, call. Wow. And I know. He, and and <sighs> our our own uh, Emily Longaretta, who talked to the filmmakers, said the filmmakers like the the, the guy gave them all of that material because he thought it exonerated him this guy is so delusional he's now in jail thankfully yeah but he thought that by giving all the materials to the filmmakers it would help his cause instead it ex- like it just shows you just those how... are the best docs that's why the uh, jinx right? is a yeah. masterpiece yeah yeah jinx when you, is actually, so good. <laughs> you have access to all of that it's yep. i mean can you imagine I, I just imagine the day those filmmakers got got a hold of all that and the guy that's why like, i'll never run for political office there's too much <laughs> stuff out there about me like i know it like, like I, I can't even do that imagine doing a doc i'd be like no yeah. you can't have any of this oh so, so, so yeah, if you ever run for office some poor soul's gonna have to go back and listen to every single one of these podcasts. every episodes. single one of these are all to find like, something yeah like clayton did a a, a jazz accent because he was imitating Jazz's <laughs> British accent. Um, but I saw the first episode and I was like, I was like, oh, this is gonna be good. And then I haven't come back to it. So now that makes me feel good. Yeah. There's gonna be there's so much like 
We say this every year, but it's going to be such, so much good TV. Like, so much good TV is coming up. Ted Lasso. So much good TV. Yeah. Ted shrinking Lasso is great. Shrinking if you're not watching Shrinking. Fantastic. Succession is coming back. What's yep. the Apple trailer that came, uh, like, literally today or yesterday? The Extrapolations. Oh, my God. Like, give it all to me. It looks <laughs> so good. It looks so good. And that cast. Yeah, I, I started watching it with my son, and we're in. I mean, it's you're it's, in. Yeah, it's, it's it is good. it is it is frightening because it does give a pretty realistic uh, idea of of where, <laughs> where we're, we're headed in two yeah. seconds, yeah. where we are, where we you're are. You're in from the first episode. I saw the first episode. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to watch more. But yeah, um, so, uh, talk Super Bowl real quick. Uh, any trailers uh, stand out? Because uh, I will say Michael Keaton saying I'm that's Batman. what it was. Oh, that was yeah. it. That's all I cared about. I'm, I'm I cared about Michael Keaton saying I am Batman and Rihanna, um, letting the cat out of the bag that I'm going to be a dad. Yeah. <laughs> yes, congratulations! <laughs> Thanks, guys. Be a dad again. Congrats. Can I just the the TikToks of that have been so funny. The ones that say like how we all reacted like we saw really like, yeah and then we all lean in and we're like is she is she is this baby weight like uh, the, uh, like start asking ourselves like are we being like judgmental she just had a baby and then we're like no that was like last may and then yeah then she's pregnant Good there for you her. go i do like the oh, universal yeah. like sign now that everyone has to make like beyonce made and kiki palmer made like that that belly you have to let yeah i'm like touch your belly <laughs> yeah. i need to know <laughs> But yes, it. that's right. That's it's it's the, it's the baby drop. So it's great. We're like, touch your belly, please. I need to know if I'm being a jerk or not. Because you never ask a woman if she's pregnant. That was another thing. Because you know, we all would have been like, no, we all journalists, music journalists would have been like, so is there anything you need to tell us? <laughs> anything? We were like, no? wait, no, what? And then she, yeah. there was that one shot, that one angle where you're like. Oh, it was as yeah. soon as. Uh, by the way, and then it was. It's, by the way, as soon as it was over, I was like, "Get her down yeah. from there!" Oh, how worried? I mean, I know she was like chained to that platform, but how nervous were you for? Her? How I, much money do you have to get terrified. paid to get on that thing for you? Minimum. Um, minimum? I don't know. I'm cheap. I'm easy. <laughs> you're <laughs> you're cheap. Date. No, but it looks pretty. It looked pretty safe up there. It didn't it had, look like. It, it, no, it didn't. Did you you didn't see there's TikToks that it like buckles like a little bit and then there's uh one that the dan- one of the dancers fell backwards and then like got up or whatever and obviously they're hooked but still yeah like that's... no it has to be a minimum of fu money that i never have to think about money again wow that's... to get up there mike's like i would have done it for 50 dollars <laughs> it's like a nice <laughs> nice bottle of red wine <laughs> But, uh, t-shirt. Yeah. Back to the trailers. The Flash. Um, listen, I know there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. Um, but this is the reset, quote unquote, of the DCU. So we need it, but also seeing Michael Keaton lets me live into the theory I have that we're also gonna see Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. Oh, the multi I think I think we're gonna have all of them there. Because Ben is in it, we saw him. I think Christian Bale's gonna gonna do it. I think he's there. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Watch, someone's gonna write up a blog post just based mm. on this. <laughs> <laughs> he took a pause. It's like he knows something. I don't know anything. I really yeah, don't know anything. Yeah, you guys see. You guys didn't see. Clayton did his little wink. Wink. Like, I wink. Like a huge wink. one eye wink. Yeah, that's something yeah. in my eye. But yeah, we're gonna see uh, Bale. 
Or is it right. no? Hopefully we don't see Joseph Gordon-Levitt because that would be <laughs> terrible. <laughs> like, oh, actually it would be cool if we saw him and Chris O'Donnell. <gasps> oh, wait, what if we saw George Clooney? No, God isn't that good to us. <laughs> no, we've done nothing to deserve that. <laughs> that is, that would be incredible. I would die. I would die. Just die. That on that note. And on that note, who do we have this week, Clayton? Ooh, this week we have Thank you. Thank you very much. Austin Butler. And is he still talking? Is he still talking like Elvis when you talk? Um, to him? somewhat. Yeah. yeah. Like there, like there's going, it's, it's a, there's voice changes. I'm and worried. Um, I'm worried for him now. Uh, and director and writer and uh big BAFTA nominee director, uh, Edward Berger of All Quiet on the Western Front. Okay. And I brought you up on the podcast, Mike. I said uh last week one of my uh co-hosts said that he read the book in elementary school and i didn't know that was an elementary school well it was junior high (laughs) that's that so another thing that differs i when i say elementary school i'm talking about k through eight you guys don't mean that you you're thinking k through five right or k through six yeah no i i when i say elementary i think k through eight because we didn't have we don't really have junior highs on the east coast it's just elementary schools and grammar school the elementary grammar they're like interchangeable really yeah, uh, that's I, that's weird. No, it's pretty easy because you keep everything like you're, you're in elementary school, so you know you're you're somewhere K through eight, and well, then kids, high school nine through kid, twelve. My kids actually go to a seven through twelve. Uh, it's kind of a combo junior senior school. It's a public oh, school. Oh, that would scare me. Oh, that's a British thing. That's all we did seven through twelve, and then we go off 12? to high school, yeah. secondary school. But you also yeah. you also drive on the wrong side of the street, so you're not really a reliable source on this. Yeah, that's another podcast episode. Yeah, <laughs> that's next week. We'll talk Thanks. to you then. Bye, Janelle. Have fun in London. Bye bye. After the break, Oscar nominee Austin Butler from Los Angeles. This is the Award Circuit Podcast. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. It's the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, and I'm Clayton Davis. Elvis tells the epic story of the king of rock and roll, from age 19 when he was discovered, to his untimely death at 42. And in playing the icon, Austin Butler's hips, they do not lie. The biopic was nominated for eight Academy Awards, Best Picture, Actor, Production Design, Cinematography, Costumes, Editing, Makeup and Hairstyling, and Sound. 
There's been a lot of talk about the new Elvis. And of course, that other guy. You ain't nothing but a hound. A lot of people saying a lot of things. Of course, you got to listen to the people that you love. But in the end, you got to listen to yourself. So I want you to know those New York people ain't going to change me none. When Butler auditioned to play Elvis, he treated it as if it already belonged to him. After landing the role, the COVID-19 pandemic halted filming, which was taking place in Australia in March 2020. The now 31-year-old recalls his willingness to stay for the project. I recently sat down with Butler to discuss him receiving his first Oscar nomination for Best Actor. He also discussed his renting an apartment after the Warner Brothers corporate cards were shut off following the COVID shutdown. In addition, he talks about whether he would reprise his role as James Garrett in a Zoe 101 movie or get aged up to play Sebastian Kidd from The Carrie Diaries so he can play opposite Sarah Jessica Parker from Sex and the City. And when it comes to Sex and the City, ladies and gentlemen, it's a show he says he watched while in his New York City apartment, taking a bath and feeling like a middle-aged woman. You could pick up your jaws right now. I began our conversation by asking him whether he'd ever thought he would get back to actually shooting Elvis after the pandemic had upended their production and, of course, the rest of the world. You know, when I when I look back at it, I really... It may have been delusional, but I was, I, I can be a delusional person. I think, yeah. you know, I, I felt that way even before I got the part where I, I, before I even had an audition, I treated it like the role was mine, you know, and I just worked as hard as I possibly could uh, at that point. Um, but then when, when we shut down and, you know, initially we thought we'll shut down for two weeks mm-hmm. and then we'll come back and then, and then that became a month and then it became six months. And there was that time where, where Baz took me to dinner and he said, you know, I, I think you need to fly back to the States and, and the movie may not happen. Mm. And do you remember what you were eating at that dinner? I remember we went to this restaurant called Rickshaw's. That was one of our favorite restaurants on the Gold Coast. And they had these, uh, these sandwiches there called bug rolls. The Morton Bay Bugs, uh, they, they made these like fried sandwiches and they were delicious. And so we were eating those and I said, you know, I'm not going to go back. And, uh, and so it meant that I had to, I, I had to rent an apartment myself and cause, cause basically all the, the corporate cards got shut down. Mm. So you, they couldn't even pay for my apartment or anything. Mm. And, and so I just said, you know, I'm just going to move to Australia essentially. <laughs> Cause I knew that if I came back here that it, I'd lose the momentum that I had. Yeah. And, um, so I don't think I ever kind of let it not be an option. I, I thought if, if I stay, the film has to, it has to get made eventually, you yeah. know, and, and even if it's a year from now. And, and so I, I just, I tried to just see the, 
whatever positive I could. And I just treated it like my time where I could double down and, 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 you know, not have anybody knocking at the door and, and, um, and just prep, you know, for six months. And, um, but yeah, looking back, I mean, there were so many times that the film almost went away, you know, and and we had flooding at the studio at one point before COVID. And then, you know, there was, (laughs) there was so many moments where you were thinking, Oh, things are against us right now. It it felt apocalyptic. Uh, but then, then, uh, that's why, that's why now at this point, not only this time where, you know, we're being recognized by our peers and that just feels incredible, but, um, but the reception of the fans and, and, um, and the fact that people have resonated with the film in the way they have, because you never know how a movie's going to be yeah. received. And so it feels really amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so you are working uh, alongside these actors, big breakout performance by mm-hmm. Tom Hanks. Not, mm-hmm. we're all really not familiar with this guy. Um, yeah. but you know, he really, you know, he gets to now have a career after Elvis. Tom, you know, Tom, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, mean, yeah, he's learned. a newcomer. He showed a lot of promise. Yeah, he showed a lot of promise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then you have Olivia de Jong, who, mm-hmm. uh, in many ways for me, heart and soul of, yeah, of the yeah. movie, like the emotional, uh, epicenter. Yeah. What was it like, uh, working with them and what did you learn most from being alongside them? It was, it was such an incredible process. I mean, Olivia, um, she she's such a a unique talent you know she she and that's a really difficult role because she's uh she's got to be able to embody the the innocence and and the childlike qualities of um first love and and uh um and she had she had all of that that sort of purity you know but then on the flip side of that you look in her eyes and there's this sort of eternal wisdom, you know, yeah. and, and that's that strength that Priscilla has that, um, you know, uh, the, the, just that wisdom and, and the deep soul that she has. And, um, but then I also got to see, you know, just as an actor, how much work she put into it. And, and we would rehearse a lot, you know, um, and, and try things and, and, um, she was amazing at, at going, you know, I don't want it to feel like, like it's my line, your line, my line, mm-hmm. your line, you know, like it's got to feel like, like a couple yeah. that that's actually in an argument right yeah. now. And, um, so, so, I mean, we would just really break these scenes down. And I had talked about a moment the other day that she, that came from her, which was that, um, in the last, you know, the, the breakup between Elvis and Priscilla, where we're on the stairs, Olivia said, you know, I, I would, I think in order for this to really feel, um, free in, in the way to where we can, we can, um, have all the authenticity of, of a actual argument that, that if we could cross shoot this rather than shoot coverage, you know, mm-hmm. your coverage and then my coverage, but if we could cross shoot, then we could have that freedom to know that, um, that whatever, levels were at they'll be captured and on on either side and and baz just ran with that and so the way that we did that scene was um we had we had the bedroom set that was built um on a sound stage and then and then we had the staircase that was that was built and it was it was sort of you know maybe 40 feet away from the other set 
and um and Baz and Mandy, our cinematographer, and everybody came together and they found this way that we could we could continually shoot. So we would shoot the bedroom stuff and then we would run over with the cameras and everything. They had other cameras mm-hmm. set up, but then the one camera would follow us over and then we'd run up the stairs and then continue. So we could carry the momentum from everything that was happening in the bedroom. And that was one of Olivia's ideas. And I think that it, it, it made for that, that scene to feel a lot more organic, you know? Yeah. So that was amazing. And then I've talked a lot about Tom, but he's just, he's such a, such a class act, you know, and, and everything that you would hope for him to be just, he keeps the energy on set really buoyant and, and, um, and he's such a professional and he's been doing it so long that there's all these, uh, these things that he's picked up on the way that, that are just really impressive to witness with your yeah. own eyes in, in a scene, you know? <laughs> well, he's going uh, places. He, be, I uh, think he's going places. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll be already yeah, out there. Yeah. Um, one of my, my favorite scene of the movie, not one of the favorite scene of the movie, and I always call this the scene that proves it is uh, Unchained Melody. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. At the end, I always say that's this, like, I look for it in a movie. I look for the scene that, like, I feel either encapsulates the movie or it's where the actor really gives everything that, like, everything in the movie is built to this singular moment. Mm. And it's both in that scene. It's everything that Elvis is about. And everything that you're about as as an actor, and I wanted to wanted you to talk about getting in that headspace mm. for 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 that scene because it really is you leaving. It's em- I call it emptying the arsenal. Everything that's oh, in your wow. acting pockets yeah. gets thrown out. You're like, this is all I got. Oh, um, yeah. Talk about getting in that in that space. Well, that that moment, um, you know, that's one of those bits of footage that n- never ceases to break my heart. Because when you watch Elvis sing Unchained Melody and you know that he's, he's not going to be around much longer. And, um, he can hardly speak at that point. You know, I mean, he's, he's gasping for breath and hardly able to get a full sentence out. But then he starts singing and that operatic, incredibly powerful, emotional voice comes out. And then there's those moments where he smiles out at the audience and you see that little boy in him. Yeah. You know, you see that desire for the love of the audience and you see his love of his mother and you see so much wrapped up in that one performance. And, um, and so I'd, I'd watched it countless times and, and studied it so much. And, um, and it also was the first tape that I sent to Baz was me singing that song. And I had no idea that it was going to be that moment in the film. And, um, so it just, it meant a lot to me. And, um, and it also, you know, filming it, uh, we have this, you know, body adjustment suit, as Catherine Martin calls mm-hmm. it. We, we don't call them fat suits, mm-hmm. uh, but they, they, um, yeah. And, and you did not put on weight for this role. I see. You, you, you didn't well, start. We, I, no I did in the beginning, I, you know, especially when I was uh, trying to get, um, the part before, uh, before, you know, it was, Baz really welcomed me on the journey when we were we were trying to figure out if I could play older Elvis. Yeah. So I my agent actually told me, he said, you know, you gotta they 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 don't know if you can play older Elvis, so I think you need to gain some weight. And and so I started I'd heard that Ryan Gosling, when he was gonna do Lovely Bones, had mm-hmm. 
microwaved Hagen dazs and we'd drink it. So I started doing that. I would get, go get two dozen donuts and I'd eat them all. And I really started to pack on some pounds. Yeah. And, That's what uh, I'm doing for my next role too. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, it's fun. It's fun <laughs> yeah, yeah. for it's, a it's, week it's or so. And then, yeah. and, then you, and then you feel awful with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but so I did that for a while and, and we were also planning on shooting chronologically in the beginning. Oh, okay. That quickly went out the window. And then especially <laughs> with COVID, you yeah. know, it was just impossible. So I was going to, that was another one of the tricky aspects of the film was, Elvis changed so much from the time he was 19 to 42. And, and that's the age that I was playing him. And so, um, one day we'd be in 1974 and the next day we'd be in 1956. And so you gotta, you know, be able to switch back and forth vocally and, and physically and everything. So, um, so we knew that I couldn't, uh, you know, initially I thought we could probably take a break halfway through. I can gain the weight for the later stuff and then yeah. we'll go and do that. I, I, I think my, you know, I've talked a lot about how much Raging Bull meant to me. Mm-hmm. And so that, that idea of, of kind of being able to do that, um, has always been a challenge that I, I wanted to go after, but just with the way that we shot it, we weren't able to mm-hmm. do that. So, um, so we had to use different physical things. Yeah. I mean, next time, right? Next, next time, time we, we, next we, we, time, we, we you know, we'll, we'll, you and I can melt some hog and dust together. Uh, you know, Elvis is such a iconic, uh, and I, I'm, I'm going to use the word character, but obviously, yeah. uh, Something I noticed when I saw the film uh, for the first time, and it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. You were there uh, in, in Cannes. I was. I was oh, at Cannes. Cool. I was. I was, oh, I was at Cannes. That's the first time I, was, I saw it. And something dawned on me as I was like getting ready to watch it was that Elvis is almost a myth now. To mm. as we get farther and farther away from his life. You know, I even I was walking. Down, I was like, "Do I know how Elvis died?" Like I started asking myself, "Like yeah, how much yeah. do I know about him?" Yeah. And I think that's what intrigued so many people about it. And we're still seeing a lot of him. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is about to voice him in a Netflix cartoon. Yeah, and we have Jacob Elordi, uh playing him in the Sofia Coppola film. What advice or things like do you have for for them to make it still feel Elvis? But we all our depictions of him throughout uh art and history we've seen him depicted differently what mm. piece of advice do you have for them as he lives in know. you i don't know if i have advice necessarily i i so much of it i realize i i i can i can try to objectify the process as, as much as i can you know to look at it from afar um but it's so hard to kind of put your finger on what were the things that really uh, click you in, you know, I, I tried so many things. I, I, thankfully I had a year and a half. So, uh, before I started shooting and then, and then you have the whole time that we were, we spent shooting. And, um, so there's many things that I tried that didn't work. And, and, um, you know, I had amazing, I had an amazing team around me with Polly Bennett, my movement coach and my, my dialect coaches and singing coaches and karate instructors and, um, and you soak in a little bit from everybody. And then, and then for me, it was, it was, it was just that tricky tightrope of all the intricacies that make somebody who they are and, and that make them recognizable. Um, um, but then the, the humanity and the soul and all the things that make somebody do the physical things that they do or the way that they talk. And, um, and so for me, it was like this constant back and forth of, sometimes seeing something external um the way that he walked or the way that he moved or spoke or whatever and and um and then just asking a million questions about that and kind of going why did he walk like that why did he touch his face in that way why did he speak 
why did he say that word in that particular way? And, um, why did he laugh like that? And, and you end up finding out that Elvis himself was a real magpie. He, he, uh, you know, he would, he would see somebody walk and he'd say, I love the way that guy walks. And he, and he, I mean, his best friends would say he'd watch Elvis pick up things from everybody. He was, he was a master of being able to go, I love the way that that person did that thing. And now I'm going to make that my own. And, um, like even for 68, you know, he'd said to one of his friends, they met this guy who was this cowboy, um, that, that had been in all these old Westerns and things. And he said, see him, that's the walk I use for 68 special. Mm. And, uh, and so I just, I love that, that Elvis was constantly soaking in bits of other people. So, so for me, I, I, it was, it was often, I mean, I looked to Elvis, you know, so much as far as watching the footage of him and, and hearing audio recordings and whatnot. But it was also then taking it a step further and going, who did Elvis look at? Yeah. You know, what we're, that's why watching Chuck Berry or, or watching Little Richard or, or, um, you know, seeing how BB King would, would play a certain note or whatever those things were that you go, Oh, that's where he was getting it from. Cause, cause Elvis was just seeing it through his eyes. So then it's figuring out what was Elvis seeing that, that made him the way that he was. So I don't know. Yeah, it's so hard to I mean, quantify. Yeah, it, it, he's he's iconic in that in yeah. that way. So I mean, you made some very uh, interesting and important points there. But to get to you for for a moment, and a lot of our watchers and listeners, um, you know, the world's discovering you right now. Austin Butler mm-hmm. has you know this iconic performance that you deliver in Elvis, but a lot of People are saying I was part of. I loved the band before it got famous because <laughs> you got your big break in Hannah Montana, iCarly, <laughs> Zoe One Hundred One. Um, would you ever consider ca- doing a cameo in a Zoe One Hundred One movie <laughs> if it, if it presented itself? I haven't heard anything about that, but <laughs> I, I um, I don't know. I, I I I'm so grateful for all those stepping stones that I had throughout my career. You know, Zoe One Hundred One was a big that was a big turning point for me because it was the first time I was ever a series regular on a mm-hmm. show. And so I got to be in, in part of an entire episode. I mean, an entire uh, season, yeah. um, an entire episode. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, but I remember getting my first line on a TV show mm-hmm. and that was huge for me. And you have all these different moments that are pivotal for you. And, um, but now I'm just, you know, I'm just, uh, uh going on after whatever, story I've, I, I resonates with me or whatever director or actors that I really want to work with them. So, yeah. <laughs> so ready for the Zoe 101. Yeah, Got exactly, it. yeah. Exactly. Um, in addition, I have to ask this as well, cause you played Sebastian Kidd on the Carrie diaries. The, oh, yeah. And listen, Kate there, just watched that. There, there's yeah. a lot of people upset still that we didn't get a full run of the <laughs> Carrie diaries. So would you ever consider doing a sex in the city movie or an appearance on just like that aged up wow. to have a Carrie Bradshaw reunion. I, I haven't thought about it, but it's a good idea. I mean, we now know that you can play up to 42. So yeah, I think Sebastian kid at 42 years yeah, old. I mean, yeah. we, we can, we can work this out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you, have you, um, what, what was your fondest memory of the Carrie diaries during that time? Cause it's a lot, a lot of people. Man, I have so many fond memories of that time. Cause that was my, um, that was when I first moved to New York. Mm. You know, I, I'd never lived in New York before. And, uh, and so I, I, I was able to move to New York for two years and, and make that show. And, um, 
and that that you know it was that it was, it was just getting to be around Ana Sofia and everybody in that show that was um it was just so fun to be around and um and then I mean even even just going back and watching Sex in the City I remember having an apartment <laughs> in New York yeah I would I'd take a bath and I'd I'd pop on Sex in the City I was like a middle-aged woman I was, I was just <laughs> yeah, I just watch wine. yeah a glass of wine and just Some watch candles. Sex in the City yeah all right. these candles um so I have fond memories of that and, and just watching just like that what's have, that have you watched the uh just like that uh the next iteration oh no the, no so, i haven't. You haven't watched it yet is that is that the film that's is the that hbo the... uh max uh series no i haven't seen it right well, no. it's out there it's gonna come back soon so you can, oh that's great there, that's there's awesome. room for sebastian kid yeah I, I, i've watched uh a good amount of it yeah uh i have to finish it up before the end of this run but there's <laughs> there's room for a sebastian yeah, kid okay. in that universe that's now cool. don't want to ruin anything for you okay um so listen uh you're going to Things that are coming up next for you. You're going to be in uh, Masters of the Air, Apple TV Plus uh, drama with uh, uh, Callum Turner and fellow Oscar nominee yeah. Barry Keoghan. Yeah. You guys are going to be together at the yeah. Oscar nominee luncheon. Uh, what can you tell us about it and how much fun was it? That was, uh, that was a, that was a fun job. Uh, we, I had, I was about a week out after filming Elvis and then flew to London and, and started boot camp for that and, mm. and then went into, went into filming. So, um, uh, it, it was, it was a time where I was still trying to kind of come back to reality. You know, <laughs> I, I'd been living in this other world for a while. And, um, and so it was a nice, I, I had Thanksgiving with, uh, with Tom Hanks in, in Australia and we were eating dinner and, and he said, um, he said, what are you going to do when you, when you finish this? I said, I don't know. And, and, and he said, you know, I think you should probably try to find a job to go right into because otherwise you may, you may really sink into a depression. Ooh. And, and, uh, he said, you, you've been really, you've, you've been occupying all of yourself with this one thing. And, um, I think it would be good for you to just jump right into something else. And then we started talking. He said, you know, I actually got this show I'm producing that, that mm. you could come over and do. And, and that was the, this show. And, um, I was a big fan of Band of Brothers and the Pacific. And, yeah. um, so it had always been a dream of mine to be a part of something like that and, and, and a big ensemble show, you know, and, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a great time. And Callum is now like a brother to me and Barry. I just love him to death. We, we had a great time out there. And, um, um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have to ask this though, cause I just kind of put two and two together. So obviously, uh, you filmed Dune and um, we're, we'll come to the yeah. point where you tell me all about it. Okay. But when you were filming Dune, mm-hmm. did you know about the Timothy Chalamet commercial that he did for no, Apple? I had no idea. So you didn't rub no. it in his face like, I'm an Apple TV <laughs> series, sir. No, I just watched that commercial uh, the other day. I, I was in Mexico City and, and, uh, when it aired and, uh, I, Timmy hadn't even told me he'd done that and I watched it and I, I, there's a, Genius ad. I thought it was Yeah, great. shoot him a text, man. Be like, yeah, come on, man. Yeah. You got to catch up with us exactly. now. <laughs> exactly. um, are you learning to ride motorcycles for your upcoming The Bike Riders? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I rode. I, I'd, I'd ridden a bit before, and then um, then as I was prepping for that, I, I rode a lot. And um, But in, in that film where we're all, you know, I'm, I'm on a 1965 Harley. and. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just so much fun to to get to ride around on old bikes. We're not wearing helmets, mm. and it's just 
Tom Hardy and Michael Shannon and me on these old bikes, and it's so much fun. Working with these nobodies yeah. now, man. Like, like <laughs> guys that like, – you talk to the agent, get you around some uh, yeah, other yeah, people yeah. In, in this biz. Yeah. Um, talking about now, like, you know, the first time you saw the film was at the Cannes premiere. Uh, have you watched the film since then, especially – Following the tragedy of of Lisa Marie, have you have you mm. revisited at all? Does it hit differently now? I, I haven't seen it recently. I, I um I I've only seen it twice. I saw it in Cannes, and then I saw it uh, when I when it came out in theaters, and I snuck into a theater in New York and and went and watched it because I wanted to mm-hmm. feel it, you know, with a with a, a real audience. And um, anyone recognize you, by the way? No, no, no. I snuck in the back, and I had a hat on and a mask, and. Uh, Think of yeah. you in the departed, Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah. the departed sitting in the back. Yeah, yeah, that's my spirit animal. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, we, yeah, so I saw it there, but I haven't seen it, I haven't seen it recently. No. Um, looking, uh, now to your future, um, let, let's, let's get the Dune questions out of the way. <laughs> I know you can't, I know, I know you can't share, I know you can't share a lot. Yeah. We would just like to know what happens at the beginning, middle and end. If mm-hmm. you could just like, give a little bit. Okay. Of that. So in the beginning, yeah, at the beginning of Dune, what happens? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. What can um, we expect? What can you expect? Um, what can I say? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think the first, so I was such a huge fan of that first film and, um, just such a massive fan of Denise and, and of every actor in the movie. And they've, it's, it's just exciting to see how that first one sets this one up because mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, incredibly exciting. And, um, I don't want to give away anything specific, but okay. I can say I'm also getting to play a character that's very different from anything I've ever done. Um, very different from myself. And, um, and it was it was a real real blast, and just getting to be toe to toe with Chris Walken and and um, you know Stellan Skarsgård and Dave Batista and Timmy and Zendaya and everybody. It was just it's just it's a powerhouse. Is group there a of scene actors. with Timmy Zendaya and you just all standing together? I don't being know. The, the, being I, the future I can't really of remember. Oh, can't wait for it. Um, we, we, we were talking, uh, throwing this around the office and how obviously you've done so well playing Elvis oh, and you. just the ability to just be a good singer. Cause like <laughs> we don't see that very often. Some people can't take to this very well, but thought about what roles might be good for you, uh, in yeah, future you movie musicals. <laughs> so I have a couple here. Yeah. Went to ask any interest in being in a guys and dolls Ooh. film that's been being kicked around for a few years that's now. Interesting. I think they were waiting for you. That's, you, that's you, very interesting. I haven't thought about yeah. that. That's, I think when I was on James Corden's show that, I mean, somebody would have to fact check this, but I think that Jeff Goldblum started singing something from guys and dolls mm. when we were on there. Um, nah. maybe a hint. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that was just a little premonition. Yeah. I mean, I also think, I, uh, anyone who's familiar with it and I, I've been saying I wanted this movie made for years, Miss Saigon. Oh, uh, yeah. It'd be a great Chris. I think yeah. you could, uh, that, kill that, that as well. And that goes through, uh, age, I think 18 to 30. Mm. So you're right in that sweet oh, yeah, spot, man. Yeah. So, so that any mo- cool. musicals that you would really want to do? I mean, you got you got better ideas than I do. <laughs> and, uh, I, I I do a um, great casting agent. You're a great just, casting I, I, I agent. Just send you know, you're going to come on the team now yeah. and and, uh, and, and get Austin Butler yeah. the movie <laughs> yeah. musical roles. Yeah, I think I think you got better ideas than I. <laughs> All right, awesome. Uh, let's, let's talk about uh, these auteurs you've worked with, and I want to ask, uh, what's the thing that you 
what's the thing you remember most or the thing that they taught you mm. that you'll hold with you forever? So Denis Villeneuve, working mm. with him and doing what, what's something you've learned from him that you'll hold with you? Um, I think, well, a couple things. Uh, one is that if you ask Denis a question and most, most of the time he has a very, very specific answer. He, his attention to detail is like a laser. It's yeah. amazing. Um, but if he doesn't necessarily have an answer, he'll say, I, I'm going to dream on this. And he'll go and he'll actually have some sort of dream and he'll come back and say, so I, I dreamt on this idea. Yeah. And, and then he'll tell you this amazing vision that he has. And, um, so to see that how he, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't want to do anything that's, he doesn't want to like pull from something that's been done before. He wants it to be original ideas that are coming from your subconscious somehow. Like and, um, and he's also incredibly, um, you know, with that vision that he has, he's also incredibly fun to be around on set. You know, some people kind of can be geniuses, but they're not necessarily fun. Uh, but he's very fun yeah. and he's man. funny. And, like um, yeah. So that's, I remember that. Quentin Tarantino, once upon a time <laughs> in Hollywood. Quentin. I, I mean, I've talked so much about how much that meant to me, you know, and, and, uh, I, that had been my dream since I was a kid. So, um, but he far exceeded those expectations just because of his childlike excitement about being able to make movies, yeah. you know, and, um, he's already seen the whole film in his mind. So, he, you trust him so much, you know, he, he, he spent so much effort writing the script and has put so much thought into it. Um, and then just truly enjoys the process of making movies and, um, and, and is such a, uh, you know, he has such an encyclopedic knowledge of cinema that it's, it's, he's just incredible to have conversations about it. I, I was in the makeup, room one day and it was just Bruce Dern, myself and Quentin and they were going back and forth playing that game where you say you know an actor's name and then you have to say something that they've been in and then from that show or movie then you list another actor and you kind of go back and forth I could not keep up at all <laughs> between Bruce Dern and and Quentin. It was they were they were listing the most obscure mm-hmm. actors from some you know guest starring role in a seventies TV show, and then they could keep going. And it was just it was really amazing to be around. Uh, East Coast flavor, Jim Jarmusch, oh, uh, yeah. Dead Don't Die. Yeah, Jim Jim's in, he's he's another one. I mean, it's amazing how many people I talk to who say Jim Jarmusch is the reason why I got into what I do. Yeah. You know, he, he, um, cause he's still, I mean, he, he, he kind of told me, you know, I, I still view myself as a debutante. You know, I, I kind of, I, I, I think of myself as an amateur filmmaker that's still being able to make films and, um, but now he has so much skill, you know, and, yeah. and, um, and he's just, he has so much kindness and um, and generosity of spirit that he's one of those guys that I would just do anything for. Uh, and and on top of that, he's he's so cool. You know, he's got you you watch him on the carpet. And he's got his sunglasses on and stuff. But we were on this carpet once, and he was getting ready to walk on, and, and he took his sunglasses out and he put them on, and he said, "You know, people often think that I put my sunglasses on because I think I'm really cool or something." He says, "I'm just really nervous." <laughs> And, uh, it was just such a human thing that yeah. he was just, he's, uh, 
he's vul- he, he he has he was able to be vulnerable with me in that way and um i always love it when people who are just titans of what they do yeah. are able Especially to over 40 years yeah, in the game yeah, so like that. uh jersey native kevin smith oh <laughs> man he's uh he's a special guy kevin smith um he he uh he's he's i mean i was so impressed with how he would he thinks like an editor when he works. So, mm-hmm. so he would, he says, I consider myself more of an editor than a director even. Um, I wonder if he still feels that way, but that's what he told me at that time. And, and, um, he really encouraged me to watch playback, which I never used to do. I, I would, it'd make me very self-conscious. Mm-hmm. But with him, he would, he would say, you know, we'd do a couple takes and then he'd pull me over to the monitor and he'd say, Hey, watch this with me. And we'd watch it and he'd go, he'd say, that's in the movie. That's in the movie. That's in the movie. And then he'd go, and then, in this moment, maybe you try something, something different physically or something. Okay. See, that's in the movie. That's in the movie. And then maybe in this moment, try something different. Mm. And so then, you know, all those other moments he's going to cut to. And then you just got to find something, a new flavor on that bit. And, um, and then I don't know how he does it, but he would go home and he'd edit all night, come back the next day and, and you'd shoot. And, um, I don't know how he has the energy to do that, but it was really, uh, it's, it's awesome to get to see that process. And the last one you've worked with him. <laughs> Baz Luhrmann, Baz Luhrmann, who has directed two of my favorite films of the last like 30 years. Yeah. That's uh, Moulin Rouge yeah. and Romeo and Juliet, yeah, especially too. Romeo and Juliet. Me too. That, big, that was a pivotal fan. movie for yeah. me. Yeah. What, what, uh, yeah. what did you, what have you learned from oh, him? Man. Well, I mean, like you say, like Romeo and Juliet was, I remember watching that as a young, I, I don't even know if I was acting yet. And, and it redefined how I, how I saw films, you, you know, the potential of what cinema can do. I'd never seen a film like that before. And the way that it was cut together, the way that he sped up footage, um, taking text that could seem so far from us in today's age and, and making it, you know, feel so visceral right now. And, um, just his vision was, was, I always just really admired that. And, um, and, uh, I don't even know where to begin with him. I mean, I often say that he's the closest thing to a jazz musician that I've mm. ever seen in a director because he, um, in order to play jazz, you have to know your scales inside and out. You have to know music theory like no other. Um, and that's Baz's prep process. But once you're up on stage, it's just about the, the, what's happening right now in this moment. And it's about the improvisational quality of being able to play. Yeah. And, um, but as often talks about, you know, it's a screenplay. We are but players. You know, it's, it, you go up on stage and you perform a play. It's all about leaving fear at the door somehow and playing. And, um, and so Baz's whole energy is about pushing yourself to the very edge of what you believe is possible. Sometimes going further than that. And then you know where that edge is. Um, but trusting that you're safe and that, that you can play because you, you, you can leave fear at the door a bit. And, um, and so he works so incredibly hard. But then there were days where I'd be in the makeup chair and he'd say, you know, I rewrote that scene that we're doing today. <laughs> and it's a scene that I worked on for a year and a half. And mm-hmm. now suddenly it's a brand new scene or, um, and it taught me to really trust in the process that if you do the homework and if you, um, if you don't leave any stone unturned, then you can show up and, and, and truly find something in the moment and that you never expected to find, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, my last bit for you, and then we're going to end our time together because I've been thoroughly enjoyed it. I'd sit with you all day. Um, 
this process obviously was Elvis was in you. Like he was in you. He lived within you. Still here with with you. Uh, you know, and a lot of people are watching, and you're a good symbol of hope for people who love art to mm. stay with it as long as mm. possible. Like wait it out. Mm. You'll get that that moment to shine from from your voice, from your mm. from your from your heart. What's your message to people that are out there? And, you know, I know we're all shedding the mm-hmm. Elvis voice mm-hmm. now, but from Austin Butler, mm-hmm. what, what do you want people to know about this? About love that, that I mean, it, it truly is. I love actors. I love acting. I love storytelling. I feel so lucky and fortunate that I've been able to work, um, that I've been able to work with the people that I've been able to. And, um, but I have many, many times where I didn't work and, Many months, you know, eight months at a time where I just wouldn't book anything. And, um, and that's of, that can break your spirit at times and, and it can make you question if this is meant for you. And, and then that voice inside your head that tells you you're not good enough mm-hmm. or, or you're, um, incapable of, of the type of work that you admire. Um, that voice starts, you know, getting louder and louder in your head. And, um, the thing that I've, I mean, I could talk from many angles on this but one is that that voice i think is there in all of us and it was always going to be there i remember mark rylance saying um he said if i could tell actors one thing it would be you are enough and and when i met mark i said you know that meant a lot to me hearing you say that and he said isn't that a hard thing to realize that you are enough because you constantly are comparing yourself to other people and especially in this day and age where um, with social media and with this constant comparison of, yeah. you know, this person has that or this person's doing that. Or, and I did that a lot. And, and like I said in the beginning of this, you, we're all on our own journey. And, and my thing is, you know, just as much as you can stay away from the noise, you know, stay away from all those other things that aren't actually the work, all the outcome based ideas. Um, an outcome could even be getting the job. You know, it's, if, if instead you're there to do a job, um, like I think Brian Cranston in that great, you know, you know, Q and A or whatever he gave, he talked about that. And that, that really stuck with me was the idea that just focus on doing the job. You know, even right now, I'm, I'm, that's why I was saying you're objectifying it. I'm talking about the process, but it's still a mystery. I don't fully understand. You know, every time you have to go back to the drawing board, every time you're going, I don't feel like I'm enough. I don't know if I'm the right guy for the job. And, um, so it's a constant process of trying to one kind of get used to that voice of fear and, and realize it's always going to be there and you can sort of welcome it and go, you know, there you are. And, and I see you and, and um kind of just welcome that voice on the ride with you and realize that it's um it's just a form of energy that you can transfer but then also just take your mind off the idea of like the outcome of whether it's getting the job or it's the box office or what's what the critics are going to say or anything that's really hard yeah i mean this is easy to say it's hard to do and um but it's uh for me like the the big things for that changed my whole career were going to New York and doing that play with Denzel and, and, um, because you're only as good as you are that night. Yeah. You can't rest on what the New York Times said or what the New Yorker said or what, you know, the person last night at the show said to you afterward. 
if if you're not present in that moment doing your best work, then you're letting all those people in the theater down. Um, and you have to find new life every night. Um, so that, that shifted me a lot as far as just going, just, just try to do the best work you possibly can and focus on how do you get better? And, and if that's the fuel that is taking you, then whether you're just doing a scene in an acting class or you're doing a play, you know, in some black box theater or you're on Broadway or you're doing a movie or whatever that thing is, um, then it's about, it's about that moment of truth. And, um, and then that, that moment can be fulfilling in and of itself. And, um, that's why I love, I love watching painters or, you know, people who are creating something with their hands because it's, it's, um, it's the process that's the fulfilling thing. That's Austin Butler, Oscar nominee for the film Elvis. Directed by Baz Luhrmann, it's now streaming on HBO Max. The 1929 novel All Quiet on the Western Front already boasts an immortal and definitive cinematic legacy in the form of Lewis Milestone's 92-year-old Hollywood adaptation. But the World War I epic had never been told on screen in its native language. Until now. Director Edward Berger's bold vision of the tale comes at a time when the anti-war film rings truer than ever. Variety's Award Circuit podcast recently talked with Berger about the film, which is up for nine Oscars, including Best Picture, International Feature, Adapted Screenplay, Visual Effects, Cinematography, Original Score, Makeup and Hairstyling, and Production Design, the second most nominated film of the year. We began by talking about his vision and how he wanted to differentiate it from the original. Well, first of all, I had the best crew ever, I think. Hmm. They're all good friends. I've worked with them, with, with some of them at least, or I've known them for a long time. And now that this came together and I was finally able to make this movie with them, felt like a real treat. And they just made uh, me look great. They made the movie look better. <laughs> uh, I've worked with James probably four or five times, and I'm going to work with him again forever. <laughs> and so we sat basically in a room the, the 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 start of the process was that I flew him to – he's from London. I'm mm -hmm. from Berlin. Mm -hmm. So I flew him to Berlin during lockdown, got him a nice big suite in an otherwise empty hotel mm -hmm. with no room service, locked him in. <laughs> and I joined him every day and we did for 12 hours, we did storyboards, you know, and sat there. And he was lying on the floor. I took pictures with my iPhone. Then we drew it. Then I was lying on the floor. He was directing me, no, lie more this way and that – and then we, we put the movie together and put it up on the wall and re-edited it and re-envisioned it and, and then finally came up with this basically storyboard that we've, that we shared with our, the rest of the HODs. And part of the concept was to make it very immersive and very much Paul Boimer's, our main character's story. So, and then we decided in a war movie, I would say on a big battle, it's a massive battlefield. It's probably four, four or five football fields large. Mm -hmm. And so there is space for a ton of cameras, theoretically. We used one because we thought we have one protagonist. We either see his face or we see what he sees. Mm. So we really wanted to make it a first-person, very subjective story. And we didn't really have room in our storytelling. In, in spatial room, we did have. But in our mind, in our... In a, uh, we didn't have room for two cameras or three cameras. We just really used one and, and were always very close to Paul and usually on his face and lift the terror through him. So that was the, the main 
you know, if 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 you want to like boil it down to one idea, that was the main idea of of uh, the visual, the, the, like our visual approach. And in terms of how to make it different, first of all, it's a German novel by a German writer, um, a German story, and we are, you know, most of the team are we're from either the Czech Republic or Germany. Uh, I was born in Germany. I'm Swiss by 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 nationality, but I was born there. So I think if Germany plays Switzerland in, in the World <laughs> Cup, I'm oh. for Germany. So I, oh, even okay. though I'm Swiss, so I'm I I identify. This, uh, this, this is a I'm hot from. take. When you bring football into it, then it Absolutely. becomes a whole other uh, ball game. Okay. So I hope the Swiss so, listeners are not uh, mad at me. Yeah. But anyway, so that's that's how I feel, and so I identify with that part of history, and I feel. A certain responsibility towards history, uh, towards the last century in German history. And I feel a certain sense of, uh, guilt and shame. Yeah. A lot of it, uh, uh, um, uh, because of what Germany brought to the world. And we wanted to put that feeling into the movie. Uh, so as opposed to the original movie, which was an adaptation of a German novel, uh, we readapted this German novel and made it more German <laughs> in a way. You know? I thought I'd never say this, yeah. but uh, it is a movie that the approach was let's make it as German as possible. <laughs> pretty, pretty German. I think like, we, can, we can say that. Um, no, that, 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 that's amazing to hear that. When, when you're um, putting, you know, you're, you're storyboarding, you're getting um, your vision of, of this. War, the war, like I say, war film genre. I don't know if it's really we call it its own genre, mm-hmm. but war films, we we've seen them done a lot, and it the great ones always are distinct. They look different than every other film that came before it, and that was a lot of. It, it's interesting that this comes a few years after 1917, mm-hmm. and we don't see a lot of movies about World War One. Mm-hmm. A ton of World War Two, like in Vietnam, those are like <laughs> that's Hollywood's bread and butter. But World War One is not, so those have that um, ease of feeling a little more fresh. Did how uh, aside from the novel itself, how much knowledge did you have about the historical aspects of World War One outside of you know kind of what we learn basics in primary school? I did know a lot. It was always uh, a big interest. Uh, of mine, and I had read a lot of history books. I researched a lot of details after I decided to make this movie. By the way, that was interesting. A part of the process of making this movie, just in terms to tell you uh, how much this novel speaks to us. So when Malta Grunat, my producer, called me three years ago and said, would you be interested in making a movie of this novel? I immediately thought, damn, this is going to be hard to get out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't look for a movie like this. So, But I went home because I I knew that moment, I knew how much the book had resonated with me, how much it had stayed with me. I'd read it two times when I was younger and it just stayed with me. And so I went home and discussed it at, at the dinner table and my kids are usually completely uninterested in what I'm going to do next. <laughs> yeah. so, so they disappear from Don't the Don't you hate that? They, they have no interest no, in I what you it. do. I love <laughs> it. They should do what they want. So they get up disappear and I talk to my wife and my daughter from a distance hears the title all quiet on the western front she whips around that moment this is literally the first time this has happened 17 years old at the time and she turns around and says all quiet on the western front you absolutely have to do it I just read it in school I had no idea she had read it in school Mm. just read in school I cried many times and uh, if you have the opportunity to make that um, you got to make it and I recognized her reaction in my own how I had reacted 30 years earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really, 
uh, that was really, and I thought that that you know I'm not going to get out of it, and it really must have some relevance if it still speaks to a young girl, a young woman of you know it's of the age of 17, 95 years after the publication of the book. So that was basically uh, what drove us, um, what drove us to make this movie. So w when you're and. It, this is very interesting now because uh, we were actually uh, my co-hosts. Mm -hmm. We were in this room talking about All Quiet on the Western Front, and they had said they read it in elementary school, and I hadn't. I, I don't think the book ever came across like my like school desk ever, mm -hmm. like when, when I was in school. And obviously, like so, my my earliest um, memories are obviously the, the the original movie from the from the thirties. When you are taking on something that is so recognizable with title and its source material, there's got to be a, a large amount of pressure that you feel. That, or people, and you're thinking they're like, "This is the end of my career," kind of totally. kind of moment. I had complete nightmares, <laughs> yeah. complete uh, ridden by doubt, ridden by nightmares. Mm. And I, at some point during the writing process, uh, I, you know, I of course I'd seen the film many times in my in my teens and twens and I still remember vividly the ending of the movie when mm -hmm. I first saw, caught it on television by accident in in the 80s and so it just and it's such a strong movie and it's such a modern movie it's incredibly modern yeah. like the book by the way when you read the book it reads like it was written yesterday it's incredible the language the immediacy the the physicality the viscerality that's that's also what we wanted to to put into the film, put that language, that visceral, physical feeling, put that in the movie. But um, so that 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 commanded a huge amount of respect. The movie is probably on many many filmmakers' top ten lists. Mm -hmm. I know that. So if you ruin it, you know you, they're never going to speak to you again. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, yeah. I would sink into the ground uh, of, of of shame. You know? yeah. and so I I constantly thought about this. And when I, during the rewriting process, I thought I better look at the movie again. And it took me probably two, three weeks mm. after I looked at the movie. I had to put the script aside and I couldn't write. Uh, it was, it was a huge block because mm. I thought, why am I doing it? And, you know, some scenes I had found in the book again, I've refound in the movie or some pieces of, even a little piece of dialogue. And so I thought, I can't use that anymore. It was done. They did it. But I felt then after those two, three weeks of sort of taking a little pause that, um, you know, our movie was going to be very different. It's 95 years later. We included a little story strand that's not in the book uh, that talks about, you know, we now know that the First World War, 17 million people died. Mm -hmm. And you might think that we might have learned something from it. We yeah. didn't. You know, there's a Second World War right around the corner. Remark mm -hmm. couldn't know this. Uh, the first movie couldn't know this because it was both done in the 20s. Uh, uh, and so we felt like we had to shed a light on the future that Germany brought as well to the, so we included a little story strand, a strand about the armistice negotiation because I felt we have the privilege of the perspective on history now. Yeah. Uh, by being born in the 70s, you know, I knew what comes later. I learned from it and, and I'm trying to talk about it as well. And so, so there's, there's a lot of things, and there's a sensibility. Mainly, the biggest difference is the sensibility, I think. That yeah. What I said earlier, 
make the movie more German, yeah. you know, and don't let that deter you. It's not, not you know, German sounds like highly un, yeah. <laughs> unwatchable, but uh, I, I hope you find when you watch it that it pulls you in. No, it does for <laughs> sure. So now I have to give you some, uh, some, some wows and fe- good feelings about some of the history that, that you made. Um, you are one of now nine movies that have been nominated for international feature and best picture. Wow. Uh, in, in the same year. That's not, a while. not, not, which, by the way, there's been 591 movies nominated for best picture and, and nine of them are non-English language were nominated for That's international feature. And you're one of those. And I know it's the first German one. So the, the, and the first German one. That, yeah. And just, Give, and we never like to like call it this early, but every one of those movies won the Oscar for international feature. So I, I say oh, that, that that puts up the pressure, though. I know. So so I say that to you because if that happens, if if you are able to bring home the statuette for Germany, only the fourth uh, statuette for Germany at the Oscars. Oh, okay. Last one was Lives of Others in two thousand six. Yeah, sure. What does that feel like to represent? The country that you're already rooting for in football and 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 soccer, and you want their success there, but now you get to they're rooting for you to bring home the the the, the gold for them in cinema. How does that? That's that a very interesting question, and I think it has a lot to do. Uh, how do you feel? I, I'm going to ask you something. How do you feel about patriotism and pride and honor of, regarding your country? Ooh, you know? um, yeah. And I think from the outside, yeah. America feels has a very, you know, quite a strong sense of national pride. Uh, in Germany, I don't feel that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because of the history. Yeah. I don't feel, I, whenever, like, I could never say I'm proud to be German. This, yeah. It's, it's a ter- which I'm not even. Yeah. But, yeah. but, uh, that, those type of words don't fit into our mouths. Yeah. Rightly so. So I don't feel, I would have a hard time thinking that I represent the country because I can't speak for the entire country. Yes, we are a country selection and there was a committee that selected us. But of course, I'm sure there are tons of Germans who can't identify with me as I can't identify with them. We all, you know, everyone's different. And, but, you know, of course, we're very happy that we got selected, that we have this honor to come here to celebrate movies in general and to take part in the ceremony and whatever happens happens and if 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 germany feels that we represent them well it would make me very happy that's oscar nominated filmmaker edward berger from all quiet on the western front now streaming on netflix and that's it for this edition of the variety award circuit podcast Zach Levin edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest awards predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis, and we'll see you on the circuit. Thank you. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.